Welcome to Training Room Talk, where we discuss all things performance, rehab, and education. Welcome back to Training Room Talk. I'm Dr. John Herding. I'm here with Dr. Nick Piragini, Dr. Ray Carr, and Mr. Master's Degree, Rob Rubina. Thanks, John. The, the head of sports performance at Maple Zone Sports Institute. Um, but today we're going to talk about the subjective interview and what's in a subjective interview, whether you're a personal trainer, sports performance coach, physical therapist, chiropractor, physician. Um, subjective interview is not something that you want to take lightly or take for granted. Um, it's often some people, you know, it's often overlooked, um, but it can really be the driver of what you, where do you decide to go um, with your athlete, client, or patient. Um, so it's a very important um, aspect of everything we do in both the sports performance and physical therapy rehab setting. Um, so first, we're going to start with Dr. Ray Carr offering some of his um, thoughts and. Um, insight into what's in a good subjective interview and, and what he believes it provides his um, this start to his process. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, and I would have to agree with you. I think coming out of school, I was actually probably one of those PTs that did overlook the subjective portion some. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess just me, my personality, I was more wanting to get my hands on, you know, take measurements, test different structures. Um, but yeah, I mean, the subjective portion is really where it's at. It can really, you know, set the foundation for your physical examination, um, you know, helping, you know, finalize your assessment, um, your plan of care, uh, and everything moving, moving forward. Um, and then not only that, it's it's just a great opportunity uh, while doing all those things to build rapport with your patient Um, also to establish some confidence you know really you know get a buy-in from uh, your patient or your client your athlete um, to you know you know once they have the confidence in you you know I think anytime that situation arises you know outcomes are typically typically going to be better Um, so and then also from a treating standpoint uh, if you can help use your subjective portion to streamline things you know when you get out of PT school and you're treating you know a little bit more volume it will help you stay on task and kind of streamline uh, you know through your visits and your patients uh, as your day goes along as well so Rob what are your thoughts and you know how you typically approach approach the subjective point. Yeah, so when I'm first sitting down with someone, um, you know, I think it's first important to understand like where they're at. Um, and I'll kind of get a gauge based on their body language if they're like feeling comfortable or if they're not feeling comfortable. So I, I, I want them to be as relaxed as possible. You know, I'm sure it's their possibly first time in, in the gym or, or first time meeting me. So, you know, I want to try to create an, an atmosphere where the client is as comfortable as possible. So, you know, I, I make sure that they're happy, that, they're, that they um, understand why they're coming into the gym. Um, but how I make them feel comfortable sometimes is, is I'll kind of, you know, start to just have some small talk with them when they come in, um, ask about, you know, their day, their weekend, or, you know, we maybe talk, find some common ground with them. 
Um, and then once I, once I sit down with them, I explain the process of training, what we're going to go through. Um, I might ask them silly questions as well, just along the lines of like, hey, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite TV show? You know, this sorts of things that they probably weren't expecting to, to answer in, in a gym, which kind of, you know, might, might bring a smile to their face, which makes them more comfortable um, as they go and answer the rest of my questions. Um, and the rest of the questions are anything from, you know, their, their what sports do they play, what positions do they play, um, you know, where are they from. You know, I, I want to try to learn as much as I can about this person, where they've been, and, and then obviously where they want to get to. Um, so I ask their goals from a short-term perspective, from a long-term perspective, and, and establishing baseline goals is, is important. Uh, I want to make sure we have tangible, reachable goals, not just like, oh, I want to get faster. Well, like, that's too broad. Like, we can't come back and test that and say we've improved and gotten faster. So I want to make sure we have an actual goal. Like, I want to improve my 20-yard dash time or my 40-yard dash time. We have to have a, a, a tangible short-term goal and then a long-term goal. And long-term goals are anywhere from like, I want to increase my velocity five, six miles an hour, make the varsity high school baseball team, you know, play college baseball, whatever it might be. Um, you know, after that, um, you know, I want to understand, you know, a lot of other things, especially in the baseball population, like how many teams they of baseball, like how many baseball teams do they play on? They might play on a travel team, a high school team, a legion ball team, you know, rec ball team, whatever it might be. So want to get an idea of what's going on from like their sports schedule well, you know how many times a week are they practicing how many times a week do they have games um, what are they doing from a baseball training side so you know trying to get an idea of what they're doing from a, a training perspective for baseball and then um, just kind of gives me an idea of you know what they're doing when it comes to their sports schedule um, you know, other than that like I said I just kind of open it up and just let the conversation take it I don't really Absolutely start with like straight you know straight questions hey tell me about yourself and then let them tell me i try to do as little talking as possible and kind of let the conversation you know kind of take it wherever they take it um i'll have people that aren't big talkers and yeah. you know they don't, they don't give a ton of answers um and then i'll start to provide questions but you know i, I want to hear this person talk and hear hear what they have to say yeah absolutely i one of my uh, mentors in the past always told me, you know, listen more, talk less during the subjective yeah, I, portion. I agree with that. Yeah, and uh, I really like how you touched on, you know, getting a read on your patient. And I think from a physical, uh, from a physical therapist perspective, that's huge too, especially when you're dealing with, you know, you're having patients come in who are in pain. Um, you know, it's really, you know, it can go a long way. Um, acknowledging that and you know, getting an understanding of their mindset why exactly they're here, what they're trying to get out of uh, their visit that day, and not, not only that day, but moving forward. Um, John or Nick, you guys have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think, Rob, you struck gold there when you said you don't just get so clinical and fact-finding about your eval that you're actually trying to find out about the person, right? And sometimes just knowing a person, just knowing that you care about them goes a long way in the recovery process or the buy-in to performance. And I think sometimes we get carried away with Hey, in the therapy, like we use a lot of manual therapy here at the training room and we'll meet someone 10 minutes earlier and then we're, you know, massaging a glute, right? So very quickly, we just take for granted that, you know, because we do it all day, every day and there's, there's nothing to it. But it's like, hey, there, to some people that might be a very private area massaging a butt cheek, right? <laughs> but, but we do it so often, we take it for granted. So um, b 
being able to build rapport and learn about the person and asking them what their goals are. Um, and then you're right, Rob, like so many times has the patient provided the answers to what's going on just by letting them talk. Um, and I think um, not trying to guide the patient with your questions, but like leaving them a little bit open-ended with, hey, this is, you know, l allowing them to provide you the answers and, and listening and not talking over them. And um, that that's really where the magic in the interview happens, I think. Um, and then that can, and then the answers that they don't provide, then you go and do your orthopedic tests. Um, because we already know, like studies show that not many of the special tests we learn in school matter or, or mean anything. They're, they're not very sensitive. They're not very specific. Um, so sometimes you know what's going on just based off of mechanism of injury and then how it's kind of proliferated over the last couple of days, weeks, months, right? And what it's limiting them from doing. You can pretty much tell um, often they'll provide you the answers in the in the interview process. Yeah, and yeah, just uh, touching off that, you know, Ray, you, you mentioned that quote, you know, listen more and talk less. And you know, one of the things I, I found myself actively incorporating in subjective interviews is is just not even waiting to say something, but just even after someone's done talking, just you know, waiting and making sure that they get everything they need to get out before you know I even make a comment. Um, you know, moving to seeing a patient in pain, I think there are a few things that, you know, pop up in my head. You know, the one thing I, I want to really know um, about this person in front of me is what have they been told about their situation? What uh, doctor, physician, physical therapist, coach has told them that their hips are weak or that they have a subacromial bursitis or whatever the case is? I think it's important to know what they know about their situation and really dig and, and see if where their mindset is or, or what they believe is causing them their discomfort, causing them their issues in performance or causing their pain because that gives you, you know, the background uh, and platform to actually, if needed, de-educate and then re-educate um, with, you know, proper knowledge about, about their situation. Um, I also, I also think, you know, incorporating, you know, other factors about, you know, their, their lifestyle, not, not just honing in on their body part, but in PT school, like we're taught it, we're taught a checklist, rate your pain out of 10. Where is it? How long does it last? Is it burning? Is it numbing? Is it tingling? Um, and it's, it's very checklist type of, you know, interview. And I don't, I don't think that's conducive for building a relationship. So getting an idea of other life factors like, you know, stress management, sleep, nutrition, any important life changes, you know, while that may not be directly related to their shoulder, it gives us, the clinician, some insight as to, you know, what are some underlying factors that may be contributing to this person's pain experience and why they're here. I think it's important not to get so clinical with checklists, like create a conversation and just figure stuff out through that. Right. Like when some of those questions of pain and numbness and pain rating come up, like then maybe say, all right, tell me about your pain a little bit. How would you rate it on a scale of zero to ten? Right. That like just let it flow within a conversation right. and you'll get there um, instead of being so clinical. And you see that like new clinicians and students all the yeah, time. They're they're going right down the checklist because in a practical in a PT setting, it's I need to make sure that I hit all of these things to score the points to pass the practical. So yeah. that becomes the norm. Um where 
as you get into the clinical setting, it's less of that and more conversational to get the answers that you need. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, honestly, like a well done subjective portion uh, of the evaluation can be therapeutic in itself. Um, just by, you know, just by the emotions, you know, the compassion you can, uh, you know, kind of give off um, and give back as they are explaining you, explain to you uh, what exactly is going on. Um, so, yeah, and then also uh, in terms of uh, patient awareness and just, you know, it's always good uh, just to have a strong feeling of who you're speaking with and uh, some of their goals moving forward, like Nick, you mentioned, uh, really getting to know the patient outside of just that pain as well. So, Question for you guys. Do you ask um, if someone's like, you know, obviously you guys see a lot of people that are active and people that lift weights. Um, how much do you get into like what they're doing from a training side? if you think that their training program is possibly causing some of their pain? A lot. Like, that's a lot of what we do. But I think it gets hard because we get a lot of referrals from coaches. So then it's like treading that fine line of, hey, let me just talk to you. Like, that's when we'll kind of talk to the coach. But um, all the time, um, it's, all right, so tell me, you know, they're like this. So tell me what makes it better, what makes it worse. Um, you know, what's your volume been like lately? Have you changed exercises around? What are you doing to prep for your workout? Are you just doing the general group class or you have more individual class? Right. Um, you know, because so often people, I had a girl the other day, She she's a weightlifter. She's pretty good. She's competed at the national level. And I'm like, so what do you do to warm up your hips? Why well, you just usually get onto the bar and just start working up? I'm like, yeah. that doesn't work right. if you have hip pain, right? So, right. Um, so that all the time is, is a part of, especially as we try to work with some of our network of coaches, um, we have to know that stuff right away because, you know, people, people don't want to be in PT for the most part. Like they're here because they're in pain or, and it's starting to affect their life. Um, so that becomes part of the process of even keeping them engaged in working out while they're going through the, in, uh, the recovery process. Yeah. I think, you know, that's where having the knowledge of, you know, whatever sport it is or having, you know, a knowledge of, of programming, understanding volume and, and even archetypes, whether that be, you know, an overhead position or a squat archetype, a hinge archetype. So you can start to kind of, you know, piece that puzzle together of what are the incriminating factors? Is it a specific movement? Was it just maybe this tissue uh, reach its capacity due to, a, you know, a breach in volume or a sudden increase in volume? But uh, I think those are all kind of important things that in, in our setting, you know, it's, it's imperative that we are asking those questions to form the picture and see and to come to our diagnosis. Um, what are you guys, what are your guys feeling from being a patient yourself, you know, doctors and also therapists on documentation during the subjective portion? I mean, something we all have an opinion on. I know, um, I mean, we're fortunate enough uh, where, you know, we don't see the amount of volume that some therapists are right. required to, right. that a lot of times we don't, you know, we're not necessarily required. I mean, I still do clipboard and, and pen and jot things down and then document later, um, which I feel like helps me build a better rapport with my patients. Um, but, you know, I also, there's also the other side of things. I mean, what are your guys' thoughts on that? 
I mean, it's definitely better not to have your head in a computer, yeah, right? Sure. Yeah. That adds more work on the back end for the clinician, right? Yeah. Um, which we all struggle with. Um, yeah, in, in an ideal world, I mean, I, I do tr- keep a computer um, and, and do jot down stuff as I go, but um, I try not to keep my head in the computer the whole time. Like, I make eye contact, and, um, like, obviously, guys, you know me, like, I'll take that work on the back end, <laughs> yeah. even though I have as much as it, whatever. Um, but obviously, ideally, um, you know, you want to make some eye contact and build that relationship, yeah. and that's how it starts to get done. Yeah. yeah. I know. I know when I was here on my rotation, I, I like to just listen to the patient. I'd have, a, you know, maybe some, maybe some, you know, a Word document open or a, uh, a piece of paper to write down some things on. But um, I, ideally, I, w- I want to be able to have a, an open conversation with that person and not be, you know, head deep in a, uh, in a computer. But mm-hmm. that's kind of the, you know, yeah. the name of the game is yeah. to be productive as well. So I think that's a great question and probably – um, an issue that all PTs Does are really encountering. Being on the other side, like, are you ever in a doctor's point and where you're like, you know, I, it's never bothered me on the other side. I don't like, think it bothers me, but I'll say when a doctor is looking at me and listening to me talk, you feel that. It does give you. You that. feel it, and if and it, and, it, and it feels good. Yeah. Well, I think it depends on like in that situation, like my doctor's office, the computers facing you so the doctor's backs to you when he's interviewing so i've been in situations where the doctor's interviewing me looking at his computer not looking at me now that might be that yeah. you know that's different right yeah. um but yeah i don't know it's that's interesting john i think I, i've always played around with uh you know when you first have someone come in for their initial evaluation like where do you sit where do you stand how do you sit how do you stand yeah um i'm real big into that i i i, I used to kind of like like sit almost like with the person like no barrier between us like kind of like they would sit in chairs and I would sit in chairs and we would right. sit directly across from one another so there's nothing between us very open um, and then I kind of switched to start doing like more of like kind of at my desk or like I'm behind my desk they're at my desk um, it just seems a little more formal that mm-hmm. way I don't know what do you guys do as far as that do you stand sometimes I just like stand by the assessment table and just kind of like you know, lean on the table and chat, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on like position that you're in? I think that's a good topic. I think um, some of it, I guess I'll base off the patient. I'll get a feel. Yeah. But most of the times, generally speaking, I'm standing um, and I have the table in front of me, uh, the roller and, you know, my pen and uh, clipboard. And I try to be as opening. Uh, Is like the patient the- sitting or standing? Uh, I usually get a chair for them. So they're usually sitting? Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it depends on sometimes. Sitting on the chair and on the table? Yeah. I mean, or if like... A lot of times know, we're moving around. Yeah. Um, you know, if the seat position is also not something that's favorable to them. Because well, yeah, it depends. Right, yeah, right, right, right. So, but um, yeah, I try to be as opening to the patient as I can. Like, you right. Because I think that also sends a sense of, you know, comfort to them. I think definitely eye level, like try to get as close to eye level as you can, right? So for us, if they're sitting on the table, we can stand. If they're, you know, if they're sitting in the chair, then maybe I'll sit on a stool with the computer in my lap or something. That's a good point. Um, But I think definitely eye level, because what, if you're on top, if you're above eye level, that's like an authority dominant, right? right? Um, So maybe sometimes it comes down to um, what you want to portray and how you've watched the person walk in and if you have prior knowledge of how their disposition. 
Um, but generally, I just try to go eye level and even maybe sometimes just below, like if yeah. they're sitting on the treatment table and I'm on a, on a stool to kind of let them feel like they're in control. And then they can provide me the information and they feel comfortable in a new setting that they might not be familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. I think these small things, you know, they, they add up to create that experience, that, that first impression, you know, it's kind of that idea of, Hey, you, you walk into a, a, a gym and, you know, the strength coach is there with a, you know, frowny face and arms crossed, you know, you're going to, you're going to know that, you know, maybe he's not the most welcoming instead of being positioned in a, in a place that, you know, looks open and, and, and comforting. Yeah. Body position's huge, right? Like don't cross your arms, all that kind of stuff. And I, and I think it's important as we kind of wrap up, um, like the subjective never stops, right? So yeah. we're always, you know, you might think you have it down when you've, you've met the person for the eval and, and you, you know, but then if they come in and offer you another tidbit of information on their first session or even five or ten sessions down the road, you know, that's information that should adjust your plan of care, right? So the subjective never stops. Um, but that's what we have for you guys today. Um, check us out on social media. Um, we're always present. And thanks again for tuning in to Training Room Talk.